following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. On today's episode of NFL History, Andrew and I discuss one of the most quotable personalities in NFL history, Mr. Bum Phillips. Phillips served in the U.S. Marine Corps before coaching and leading the Love You Blue Oilers to iconic success in the 1970s. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Matt Johnson, and this is the Two Point Conversation. Happy Friday, Andrew. Yes. It's, we made it. <laughs> Another week. We're here. Going Stinks. From... I got to work tomorrow, but we're here. <laughs> it could could be worse. could be worse. It could be worse. It is what it is. I got really excited. It was supposed to rain today, but it rained didn't come. Our, or yesterday, I'm sorry. But it didn't come our way, so... I was a little disappointed. It rained last night. And the only reason I found out was I took my dog out this morning and sat on these benches we have outside and it it soaked my ass. I just want rain so badly. Like that's, that's all I want. I haven't mowed my yard in like two weeks because the grass just. Oh, brother, me either. I got, there's some, there's growing. There's some like big weed like things in the back. But other than that, the grass is pretty short. So yeah, you're fine. I'm good. I'm good. Until the city of Niagara Falls gets a bug on their butt, and they're like, "We need extra money." <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's coming. Yeah, um, if you weren't sticker on your door. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so today's a fun one. Yes. Uh, I uh, I completely forgot <laughs> what we were doing, um, but it actually it didn't change like my intro really that much at all. Um, Bum Phillips is somebody who you have talked about many a time. Um, we've used him as a quotable, as, as a you know, a, a quote guy on our page a, a time or two. Um, very beloved, and uh, it's always really cool too when you know we're, we're we're very. I think a lot of people my age, thirty, thirty, you know, thirty-one years old, uh, we're we remember his son Wade Phillips quite a bit more, but you always like to hear that history of where their football knowledge came from. And Wade, why he wasn't the most successful head coach, um, which seems to be a pattern with like second generation things. He is a awesome, awesome defensive coordinator and has led some of the greatest defenses in NFL history. Um, 2015 Broncos come to mind. I know after that Broncos run, he came back and was defensive coordinator. I think the first or second year of the McVay Rams first. Yeah. First and second year. Uh, you like retired and then came out of retirement to, to, to coach that Rams team. And that was a good defense because he was with the Texans before that as well. Texans. Obviously he had a stint in Buffalo. 
But um, you yeah, know, obviously, just, I'm I'm what, what just we, read something. We were talking. It's funny that you mentioned Buffalo because we just did that, and I just read a comment about a guy yelling at Wade Phillips because he started Flutie, or he started Rob Johnson over Flutie, and somebody was like, "That was a Wilson decision." So yeah, some some people know the. Real I'd love. To, I would love to do a, not that this is a Wade Phillips episode, but I would love to do it. But I, I feel like he obviously got it a fiery personality from um from his dad from 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 the bum from bum phillips <laughs> from the uh, bum, from the bum. <laughs> fantastic name fantastic name uh but it's really cool for me to on twitter because wade phillips is very active on there and he loves to talk about his dad which is the mm-hmm. coolest thing um how much he admires him and you know he, he loves hearing good things about his dad you know, it was, uh, he's, he's an icon. Like, like we said, uh, we're obviously going to talk about his story, but, uh, you know, the Oilers, they were pretty good in the sixties and such, but man, the seventies is when they really came to prominence and in, with, you know, with Passerini and, um, you know, Earl Campbell and, and so many, and so many other pieces. Why? I think this is a Billy White Shoes Johnson era Billy too. White Shoes. If you, that's another great one. If you ever want to get a full picture of bum, it's when Billy White Shoes Johnson takes that uh, kick return back and you just see him on the sidelines clapping and he's like, Oh, Billy. Yeah. Let's go, <laughs> Billy. Come on, oh. Billy. It's so good. And and he found a way to be competitive. And I, I know the Oilers have historically struggled. That's mm-hmm. not, you know, Super Bowl success has not really been the Oilers or Titans, you know, kind of thing. But um, they competed really well in a decade dominated by the Steelers, yeah. by, you know, the Dolphins for a large part. The Colts were very competitive. Um, Broncos were kind of up there. I think the Broncos had a Super Super Bowl appearance in the 70s. 76. Seven. So later on, obviously the Raiders. You don't want to forget about the Raiders, who were ultra competitive then too. Uh, the Oilers found a way to stand out with their "Love You Blue Oilers" kind of motto, and people still adore it to this day. Anytime we reference some of those players from that generation, there's we get a ton of comments. Uh, just nothing but positive things about that uh, that era. It it's almost I don't want to give all the credit, but a lot of like. Bill's mafia-ish in a way where they just stood by their team, the whole love you blue Oilers. They stood by bum. They stood by the players. And I think the best way to talk about those love you blue Oilers is another famous bum Phillips quote where he said, the Cowboys may be uh, America's team, but Houston is Texas is Texas team, Hmm. which in a way, if you think about it, you're looking at Landry, who's very straight-laced, Fedora, stoic along the sidelines. And then you got this, as they call him, good old boy, cow, pretty much real-life cowboy because he grew up on a ranch, Bum Phillips over there with his hat, his cowboy boots made of, like, ostrich skin and chewing tobacco and I think he was a little bit more relatable and approachable where Landry, you could, you, you would love to talk to Landry, but he just seemed like the stern teacher or bum Phillips. If he was your teacher, it'd be like, Hey, we're just going to roll on the TV for the rest of the week. And I see what you're watch saying. Movies. Yeah. And I think like that's, 
the every man kind of man kind of kind of thing, right? Yeah, yet yeah. a lot of these coaches, you know, Hank Stram and and Landry and Paul Brown and um Noel, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day, very professional suits and stuff. And Bum Phillips is out there and just you know, with a the with a gal what do they call those hats? The like a call it 10 gallon or maybe like a 10 gallon hat or whatever the heck you call it just, a, you look like a cowboy like out there just just casual just doing his thing that's how you stand out you know so i've always admired that about about bum ever since i learned about him and, and who he was in nfl history i've always really admired that so he reminds me of like the brett Favre of coaches where he was just going out there to have fun right and whatever else fell in place it was fine with him and that was that's always been the crazy thing with him is you just look at him and you're like wow he is way more relatable than probably any head coach for sure that you could ever really see for sure so I, I'm excited to learn a little bit about uh, miss a little bit more about Mr. Bum Phillips today um, so yeah you take it away Andrew good old OA OA Bum Phillips all right he was born on September 29th 1923 in Orange Texas. Uh, played football at Lamar University in Belmont, Texas, but enlisted the United States Marine Corps shortly after the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Uh, I did read he went to Camp Pendleton for boot camp, but I can't really hold that against him. Uh, he became uh, one of the elite Marine Raiders, which is a light infantry amphibious force that were pretty much like a special forces at the time. Okay. Uh, got into some pretty serious fire, like a four-hour firefight. Watched a lot of uh, Marines uh, pass away, I guess you could say. And he, it kind of took a toll on him. So I think that's one of those things where maybe at that point he realized life couldn't, there was more serious things in life. Right. Or if that had an effect on his coaching. But after he turned to war, he finished uh, his degree at Lamar, enrolled uh, in Stephen F. Austin State University, uh, lettering in football in 48 and 49, graduating with a degree in education. That probably is a big help, too, in 49. And pretty much from there, he just coached a lot of colleges, high school, probably one of his biggest stops that you could that I could that's really coming out to me at this point is Texas A&M for, and he was assistant for bear Bryant. And once again, that's a short stint. It was a very short stint, but that's a pretty cool uh, coaching connection there, but that's um, a contrast. (laughs) (laughs) He did, he did a lot, a lot all over. I like, cause right. Texas. I mean, you live in Texas, obviously. So football is, uh, high school, high school football is, is a way of life down there. High school football is yes. a way of life. And he's bouncing around between different schools. Uh, if you're going to get head coaching experience, that's probably the way to do it. I mean, between, between 1951 and in 64, he coached at one, two, three, uh, four different high schools and a couple different colleges. So he was, mm. he was getting around and, uh, yep. definitely learning, learning a lot, uh, you know, that would help set him on his way. For the rest of his career yeah uh, football is everything i didn't know i needed a favorite college team until i moved to texas so they ask you your pro team and then they ask you who you like in college and then my daughter told me 
Cause I was like, I want to go to a high school football game. And she's like, you have to order the tickets online in advance. Really? Oh yeah. She said, especially she goes to Byron Nelson and their big rivalry is a school called Eaton. And she said, if you, you can't even get tickets, don't even bother trying to figure out on how to get tickets when Byron Nelson plays Eaton. That's how, (laughs) that's how crazy it is. I, the facility is unlike you ever seen in your life. I, I don't know if every high school is like that, but they have like three practice football fields. Yeah, it's damn. It's, it, football is real down here. Okay, that's. The I mean, I guess so. I didn't know you had to order tickets online. Like it's like it's a Marvel movie or something. You're going to Regal Cinema. And uh, you got a pre-order high school football game tickets, but that adds a whole nother layer to the uh, to, to how much that sport means. That's pretty crazy. I did. I've only been to well, my senior year. I just go to the high school football games, and you know, you show your little student ID and you pay a dollar, and no matter what, you got in. Yeah. No matter where, what time it was, but here I was told that she told me you pretty much got to order online. Those are probably nuts. <laughs> I want to go so badly now after hearing that. Like, I'm just. You should be a scalper. You should buy them and just scalp the tickets, high school football tickets. Pretty sure you could make tons of money off of it. You probably could. You probably could. Yeah, because what? Uh, South Lake's about 20 minutes away from me. And then there was a kid that just committed to Ohio State over there. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But in the late 60s, let's get back to Bum. And uh, in the late 60s, he was hired by Sid Gilman to serve as a defensive assistant for the San Diego Chargers. So he did that from 67 to 71. Then he moved on to SMU in 72 and Oklahoma State in 73. And when Sid Gilman uh, was hired in 1973 as well, he brought along with the Houston Oilers, he brought along Bum with him as a defensive coordinator. Then in 1975, Phillips was named head coach and general manager of the Oilers, and he was pretty well just kind of unknown at this point. Uh, As the coach, uh, he presided over the most successful era since, as we talked about, since the American Football Leagues. You've reached the AFC Championship twice. We are losing both time to the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers. First game was 34 to five. And then the next one was 27 to 13. And that was kind of his downfall, wasn't it? Yeah, that was his huge downfall. And that one, if you go back and you watch the one that was in 79, there's a huge case probably where I instant replay because it looks like Mike Renfro was in and they called the play out. And Mm. if he would have got called in, they said that would have definitely changed the game. Really? Yep. So he, so that was like the big, big, huge downfall of all that. And that's where you get into his famous speech uh, after that second loss, where he said, one year ago, we knocked on the door this year, we beat on the door and the next year we're going to kick that kick the son of a bitch in. (laughs) He was he was a fiery guy during this whole time, and this is like I said, love you, blue Oilers. They're winning. They're doing great. Uh, you're 
one of the top teams in the AFC. And you got to figure it. Not only is he playing Pittsburgh in the AFC championship game, he's playing them twice during the regular season. Right. I mean, that's, that's a lot. It's hard to beat a team twice now and to see him three times. We've seen it. Oh, we've seen that plenty of times over the years. Most recently, right? Uh, the Saints in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady's first year with the Bucks. Uh, the Saints swept him in the regular season, and then Brady got him in the when it counted. But we've seen that stuff happen all the you know we see that happen more often than not, and obviously a much different football era back then too, much different. So also during the time, I think one of the big things where he everybody talks about culture. We talk about you got to bring in a head coach, change the culture. What kind of culture is he going to bring in? And at these times, uh, every Friday during training camp, he would have a like kind of a party. There'd be pizza. There'd be a live band. They'd sit around. They'd play cards and everything else. And his big reason for that was because he felt like if you're going to ask somebody get something extra out of somebody, you should give them your friendship. And he said that's the easiest thing you could give somebody. If you could give them that little extra bit of friendship, you can get it. You're you're going to get it back. So he did a lot of that. He was notorious at these times for, in right in the middle of practice, you know, holding it up, and then an ice cream truck would pull onto the field so his players could have ice cream and every everything else. The coolest thing I think he did was Saturdays. Was it was practice. And, you know, players would show up in pads, but you would bring your whole family. So your whole family would go to practice with you. If you were a single guy and you didn't really have a family, he mentioned he said a lot of guys had dogs, so they'd bring their dogs with them. <laughs> and it was just a fun, fun atmosphere. And he said, you know, one of the big reasons for that, too, is what are you going to do in 24 hours before the game? What, what are you really going to install? What are you going to invent? So you might as well just Ditka's rolling over in his eventual grave. Just hearing that Ditka hated, hated being like close to the players, but he, he did bum loved it. He said, we're going to play, you know, they got to play as a family. He was friends with them. I think that that's what I think I admire the most is his philosophies were so like unique. And I think they're still unique comparatively. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I know we brought up, uh, we did the quote of the day. I think it was earlier this week. I can't remember. It's been a long week Yeah. about the, uh, you know, why would I scrimmage Oilers versus Oilers? We, they're not on our schedule, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is, you know, I mean, it's hilarious. First and foremost, when you really think about it, it's like, well, damn, that's pretty crazy. Did, did they not scrimmage in practice? Like what, Like, what do they do? But that's like, that was that unique. And maybe, maybe not. That was the difference between um, winning and losing for those Oilers. But, um, but that's just a, it's a foreign concept for, for back then. And even, even nowadays, as, as light as practices have, you know, become under the CBA, eh, that, that kind of mentality doesn't really happen all that much. No, like I said, if you, if you think about it, I watched one interview and a guy said, and like I mentioned before, this guy fought in war, World War II in the South Pacific for pretty much a special forces of the Marine Corps. What more in life can get more serious than that? What, what, is, what is a game? Right. What is, it, what is a game to him at that point? Yeah. 
So, uh, 1980, they failed to make it to the AFC Championship game, and we were actually knocked out of the first round as they lost to the Oakland Raiders 27 to 7. And that is when Bud Adams, the owner of the Houston Oilers, also the guy that decided they needed to move to Tennessee. So he's a real great decision maker. Uh, <laughs> fired him on New Year's Eve of 1980. So that's a pretty. So the game was on the 28th, 1980. What? Three days later? He Three was days gone. later, they canned him. They canned him. And it was, some people refer to it as the Midnight Massacre. Yeah, the reasoning is interesting. I was looking at it was because Bum protected a rec, a, a player's recreational drug use. He didn't say anything to Adams, um, but Adams, which is admirable because he's a player's coach, yeah. you know, and he's a player's coach guy. But I don't know. I you never hear any, you know, these the Adams family. <laughs> you don't really hear much good about. Um, it's owners though. You know what I mean? It's, it's so tough. They're not on the field every day and, and whatnot. So, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. That's the reason why maybe, you know, it's probably, he was just looking for a reason. Maybe because they didn't do anything, but come on, the guy just got to two AFC championship games, made the playoffs again, uh, took your team from when you had Bill Peterson, another great quote guy that you had that used to tell his players to uh, stand on their helmets and put on the sideline and put on their sidelines. <laughs> um, the guy was a walking, just calamity, never had more than one wind in a season. And you go from all of that and then you're finally winning. Yeah. At, at what point do you kind of just say that the attitude or the, the situation is outweighing the performance? If you look at his his record, he had only one losing season that was in '76, and they went five and nine. Other than that, he's never he never had a losing season with Houston. And his last three three records were ten and six, eleven and five, and eleven and five. You you got something good there. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it could be a Jerry Jones situation. That's where my mindset's at. Like, okay, we're here. Usually if you don't grow any, like in three years, like, I, I mean, I think Andy Reid had a very long leash in Philadelphia. And I can understand, like, the fans' frustration there. But that was well over 10 years he was the head coach in, in Philly, correct? Yeah. You know what I mean? Before they kind of let him go it's yeah it's tough man it's it's really tough especially when you're you know with your when your fan base loves them as much as you do fan base players because i mean i know this is still early on but i mean decisions like that yeah if i'm a fan in houston of course i'm going to be turned off by your product if you're making irrational decisions right i mean I'm sure Bud Adams played a role in, you know, down the line, breaking down that Oilers team in the early 90s, getting rid of Warren Moon. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's well, the track record. It's yeah. tough. 
they had to get rid of Warrior Moon because Adams allowed whoever the general manager is to give Cody Carlson like $2.5 million a year. And you're probably like, who the hell is Cody Carlson? Yeah, it was Warrior Moon's backup and the salary cap was kicking in. So they figured they'd keep Commander Cody over Warren Moon. Once again, awesome decisions. Yeah. But Bum was the all-time winningest head coach for the Houston Oilers. And I guess you could go slash Tennessee Titans. His 59 wins would be the most in franchise history until Jeff Fisher passed him in 2001. So you fired a guy in 19. This is the other funny thing is you fired a guy from 1980 and nobody can match his win total until 2001. <laughs> That's impressive. I mean, especially too with that five year stint. Like I can understand like nobody touching Shula's record or Hallis or Landry or Brown or some of these other ones, but dude, five years and you put your, and your team hasn't really been the same since. Mm-hmm. You done messed up. You done messed up. Yeah. Uh, he did get hired by the New Orleans Saints or for the 81 season right after he got fired. He was hired as the head coach and general manager. Uh, and this is when the Saints were just bad, just very bad. He only had a one 500 season. And that was in 1983, and he coached there from 1981 until the middle of 1985, and he resigned, actually. And this was Wade Phillips' first intern coaching position. Was oh, so he, he got – okay. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, because he, he was with them in Houston. Wade was the defensive line coach and then defensive coordinator with the Saints. Hmm. That is that is interesting. I wonder if he did, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a guy like Bum Phillips, it's like, man, and, and obviously the Saints were very dysfunctional back then. This is what, just before Dome Patrol and some of those squads too, right? Yeah, way before. So Wait, no, uh, I think this is when they're just about to get good. just about to get going. So hey, you know it. He kind of seen the writing on the wall, probably. And, you know, it is what it is from here on out. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Seemed like he had lived a pretty good life at that point and just couldn't take it anymore. That's the Saints. Like, it's the 80s Saints. There's <laughs> nothing good, nothing good of that era. <laughs> really. I mean, this is post Archie Manning, right? Yeah. This is post Archie. This is your favorite Ken Stabler. Oh, the yeah. old white beard Ken Stabler. Yeah. That was like a retirement home, right? He went and got Earl Campbell. Yeah. Earl I, Campbell retired with the with uh with the Saints, technically, right? Yep. And then obviously Bum Phillips pretty much retired from his job. Stabler it was a retirement home back in the day, much like like Washington or Arizona were for a little while. They go to these places and they just retire. I, Hank Stram actually retired, I believe, as the Saints head coach too, after Kansas City. So nobody could really do anything there. <laughs> nobody really did anything. Uh, and it, one of the reasons why he also, this is at the time Tom Benchin purchased the Saints for a whopping $70 million. 
Could you imagine somebody buying an NFL team for $70 million today? That's it's so weird how small that number seems. Yeah. Uh, Benson did ask him to stay, and Baum still said no. But he said he did, uh, he did resign one day after a victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, his son would take over on a term-term basis. And Wade's first game at the, he did beat the Rams. Wade's first game as head coach. Mm. And then after that, he was a color analyst, uh, and just pretty much that. And I think he, in an interview I was watching, he's probably said one of the great things that you could see with a guy that's just come to peace with, with his career. He said, you know. Yes, I still love football after 30 years of being in it, but I like where it's at and I like where I'm at. So he, you could kind of tell he was at peace with everything. And on October 18, 2013, in Golan, Texas, a bum passed away. Yeah, almost, uh, almost 100, right? He hit almost 89, 90. He was 90. He was 90. So he was was just working on when he turned 90. He was working on his 90 for 90 program where he was asking everybody to donate $90 to help build a a free retreat for uh, deaf children and their parents. Wow. So even at 90 years old, the guy, and you would see him on the Houston Texans sidelines. That was the other thing too, is I never saw anything him with the Titans. But when the Texans came back, you would see him on the sidelines every once in a while. Yeah, I seen a couple of pictures. I was like, I was confused for a minute, but uh, but it was cool to see with him with with Texans gear on. But it's that's one of those weird situations. He's obviously in. I think he's in the Ring of Honor for the Titans because obviously that's where the organization came from. But he's just his heart's not in Tennessee. He's a he's a Texan. He's he's a he's a Texas boy, and he loved the welcome to Houston, Houston, more specifically, because mm-hmm. um, the fan base obviously didn't travel from Houston to Tennessee. So that's really, that's really admirable. That he, he stuck with Houston. It's kind of like the old Baltimore Colts situations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A lot of players in, from that era, they stayed loyal. A lot of all the, a lot of fans stayed loyal from, you know, to that town and the eventual Ravens. So, Yeah. So let's, uh, I'm going to get into a little bit of uh, some bumminisms. He did not wear his cowboy hat, though, in the Astrodome or in Dome Stadiums. Do you know why? Why is that? Because his mama always told him never to wear a hat indoors. Oh, that's adorable. Oh, that was the other thing, too. I, I just looked at my notes and I forgot about this. So he talked about his coaching style with his players and somebody, and he said, he said, I love my mama. We're talking about disciplining. I love my mama and she loved me. But she also only knew, but she also knew when to give me a whooping as well. And that's how he coached his players. He loved them, but he also, he would get on them, but not as much. Right. Uh, he Talking about head coaches. There's two kinds of head coaches. Them that's fired and them and them that's gonna be fired 
I always thought I could coach. I just thought people were poor judges of good coaches. I've never seen a hammer and and tong game like th- like that one before. <laughs> I have no idea where he came with that one. Uh, to a reporter who said he about Earl Campbell being slow, and he said yes, but he goes down slow too. <laughs> Here's another good one. The harder we played, the behinder we got. Does he, he's got to have like a YouTube like compilation thing, right? Like a, like of quotes. There's got to be something. I couldn't find one. I love this one about Warren Moon. That boy could throw a football through a car wash and not get it wet. <laughs> uh, him talking about Bear Bryant and Don Shula. He can take his in and beat Yorin and take Yorin and beat Hizen. I always thought that was great. Dude, he would make a billion dollars selling t-shirts these days with some of those quotes. At at least a billion dollars. Him talking about Earl Campbell, I don't know if he's in a class by himself, but I do know when that roll call get when that, oh, I'm sorry, when that class gets together, it sure don't take long to do the, to call the roll. (laughs) he was I'm trying to find some other ones Um, let's see the only discipline that lasts is self-discipline so there's kind of the way that it goes how do you here here he goes he's going to teach you on how to win Matt right this is how Bum Phillips learned how to win you get your average players to play good and you get your good players to play great. And that's how you win. And I used to, and then when he would break huddles, it would be every man, get a man, every good man, get two. <laughs> that's fun. I would, this is a guy that I want to play for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would play my ass off for Mr. Bum. It's it's easy to want to play for you know, the all time greats you know the again I already named a bunch of all time great coaches, mm-hmm. but um, you know it's it's the one the personalities that build you up, I think, you know and that's exactly what Bum did you know I, growing up, in high school and stuff I had this wrestling uh, coach it wasn't my direct coach but he coached at another program, in Western New York and he always said that you know when you're around people. When you when you see people, you, you try your best to uh, make said people feel special and important. And from what everything that I've read and heard about Bum Phillips, he did that, and he brought out the best in his his players. And it's it's always it's always really cool to hear an old school Mike. He is an older um, coach. He is retired uh, military guy as well, just like Bum Phillips. But um, it, it's it's always good to hear like that mentality. Cause you, you hear about a lot of these older coaches and they were, they were hard asses. They won a lot, but their means of, of winning were uh, very different and probably not legal nowadays. No, uh, definitely not legal uh, nowadays under a lot of accounts, but you hear a guy like bum Phillips who took care of his guys, try to, you know, his best to be their friend and, and just believe in them. And it's like, wow, he was, kind of ahead in a sense he was really ahead of the curve he really he was, was. He would have i think he would have fit in well with this with this generation 
of, I, of coaches. I think he would have. Oh, the, here's here's the last one. This one was great. Bob Costas asked him why he took his wife on Oilers road on road trips, and he said because she's too ugly to kiss goodbye. <laughs> Gotta love Bob, but he 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 got the most. He got the most. He wanted he wanted to create more than a team. He wanted to create a family. Yeah, he wanted his players to be relaxed. He wanted them to be great, and. It's funny because you look at stuff and you watch interviews of his old players and it always goes right to bum. Dan Pastorini, who was actually traded by bum Phillips for Ken Stabler still talks very highly of him. Right. There's old players that when they talk to him and talk about him, they start to cry. That's how much this man meant to him. They said, you know, a lot of times it wasn't him being so much of a coach, but being a father figure for everybody. And just showing them that, like I said, it's it's a game, and they're gonna go out. You're gonna play it, but it's it's not the end of the world, and we're still gonna have a good time after. He is definitely the definition of little league coach going to get ice cream after the game. Yeah, well, he actually did, but during practices. <laughs> I respect I, the heck out of it. I can't. He's probably. I, I don't know where he ranked in characters in NFL history when they did the top 100, but he was, he was on there and I think he was pretty damn high because he's, he's, he's that good old boy. Oh, bum Phillips. Oh, that was the other line was hold on to the rope. Don't let go of the rope. And uh, what's his name? Robert. I'm going to mess up his last name, like Brazil or Brazil. Okay. Always used to think to himself going, what the hell is he? What, what, what rope? what the hell is he talking about? But they, <laughs> but they went along with it because it was bum. And I think, like you said, this is a one of a kind head coach. And he even said, you can't be anybody else. You, you got to coach the team the way that you want to coach it. You can't try and imitate bear Bryant. You can't try and imitate anybody else. You, you got to be yourself and you got to do it your way and then it made me think about the patriots head coaches and i think a lot of them try to imitate belichick and they're not belichick and that's why they failed that's actually a really really good point that's a really good point i that was the first thing that came to my head was here's a guy that coached under bear bryant only for a year and he could have said wow bear bryant's awesome but nope he went the complete opposite mm. because he was being himself. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. That's always cool to see, you know, breaking out of the shell from what you're around and, uh, you know, becoming your own icon. That's the difference between uh, being good and being great. Mm-hmm. I think so, but very good. Very good. That, concludes our long-awaited bum phillips episode next week i have choice i think we have two more episodes right for this uh monthly theme we do we do um next week we'll be i'm gonna do a pat tillman episode i'm gonna do that one next week Uh, i think it's one that when you think military heroes from the nfl uh you know 
Tillman is towards the top of the list on a lot of people's. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and a great what if, I think, a, a great career what if, uh, I think many people ask. So uh, so we're going to look into his playing career, his military career, and uh, you know everything that kind of uh, transpired with that. We'll go through his life story and talk about it. Because I, I, I remember that one very, very fondly. Yeah. Very, very fondly. And uh, unfortunately, his name gets, fortunately and unfortunately, his name gets brought up a lot nowadays in like this political tug of war bullshit. But um, we want to do our best to just honor Pat Tillman as best as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I guess speak with some reverence, I think is the correct phrasing, uh, on his name. So. Um, but that is it, everybody. Thank you so much tomorrow. Don't forget fantasy, uh, fantasy tight end tiers. I will be solo for this one. Should be fairly quick. Tight ends aren't uh, all that, uh, abundant in fantasy football anymore. And, uh, but yeah, Ryan's out. He's enjoying his wedding. So, um, but that'll be the last episode for the week. And then we come back on Monday with another, what if, uh, Andrew's still figuring that out for Monday. So, <laughs> but that is it, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. And on behalf of Andrew and myself, till next time, the two point conversation is good. Three, nine, three, nine, three, nine, three, nine.